Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show here on UltimateSportsTalk.com. Glad to have you along this evening. I'm Dave Mitchell, and we're going to be talking about the Cleveland Indians and the Cincinnati Reds tonight. And as we do that, we've got to go down south to our resident Reds expert, Mark Donahue, and talk to him about what's going on with the Reds. But Mark, in the first 10 games of the season, or 10 days of the season, I guess I should say, there is a four-letter word that stands out for both of these ball clubs, and that four-letter word is cold. Well, in, in different ways, cold. Um, talking about temperature and talking about the way they're playing. Uh, but I, I'm afraid, as we'll get into this a little later on, uh, it's going to get a lot worse for the Reds. And uh, at least you Cleveland fans out there, uh, I, I think you have a lot of hope for this season but not so much if you're a Cincinnati Reds fan. And, you know, Dave, I was thinking, uh, we were talking before we went on the air, I'm not sure there's a way that the season could have got off any worse, other than maybe Joey Votto getting hurt. But, you know, again, the pitching staff, Di Sclafani and, and others hurt, and now two starting, uh, the starting eight have been hurt, DL'd. And uh, the Reds just playing bad baseball, getting bad pitching, except for uh, the other night when they they beat the Cubs one to nothing. Uh, that's that, that's the rarity. And again, uh, we'll get into this in more detail, but I, I'm, I'm afraid it's not going to get any better. Mark, you're absolutely right. I mean, both teams, are, of course, the Indians have been battling the cold weather ever since they came back to Cleveland. And uh, heading into tonight's action, the Indians are four and five. They're in third place in the AL Central Division, but only a game back of the, the Twins. And I know it's too early to be looking at the standings, but we do that each and every week. The Reds, meanwhile, are two and six on the year. They managed to scratch out a win against Pittsburgh over the weekend. They are in last place in the NL Central, but they're six and a half games, or I'm sorry, four and a half games back of the Pirates right now in the Central Division. And Mark, you know, when we had our prediction show, a week ago, you said by the end of April, this team could be 10 games or more out of first place in the Central. And right now, we're on April 8th, and they're already four and a half back. Yeah, it, it's not going to get to the point where there's any enthusiasm for this year. It, it, if you get off to such a horrific start, and what I did, I looked at the first two months of the season, and I tried to be, and I am I am naturally optimistic. Every year I think the Reds are going to win it. In reality, I know they aren't, but uh, I, I'm one of those optimistic baseball fans. But, you know, I look at their schedule, Dave, and I had them, I guess Washington, opening up, I had them 0-3. They were 0-3. They actually surprised me with the help of the weather. They were they were 1-0 against the Cubs. I had them 0-2. One game was rained out. I had them 1-3 against the Pirates. I got that right. But throughout the end of May, when they play uh, Pittsburgh, Philadelphia, the Cardinals, the Brewers, the Cards again, the Braves, Twins, Brewers, uh, all the way till, till May 30th, I have them at 13-44. and 44. Wow. That's a 23% percentage, 23% win percentage. That would mean they would win 37 games and lose 125. Now, I'm not sure it's possible that a team can be that bad. 
and I was hoping when I wrote this, I wrote this before our, our show last week, I started putting down, what are their chances really against Washington? None. They had no chance to win any of those games, and they didn't. So if you break down each series, and I have them 0 for 3 with Phillies coming up this, you know, starting tonight, and then the Cards and the Brewers and the Cards again, there's no, I don't see a path, and this is before these injuries, I don't see a path for them escaping being 10 games down in April, but they could be 20, 15 to 20 games down in, in May, at the end of May, which is almost unbelievable. And when I wrote the numbers originally, I think, oh, no, I'm, I'm being too, too pessimistic. <laughs> but that's before all the injuries. I mean, this team, and you asked me, was it two weeks ago, you said, is, is Brian, um, what's his name? Brian Price. Brian, Brian Price, is he going to make it to the All-Star break? And what did I say? No. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't think there's. You questioned he would, if he would even make it to Memorial Day. Well, I, but it's not his fault. You you can't win with a team like this right now. I mean, unless they make and, and then they sign Gallardo. Are you kidding me? This guy hadn't pitched for two weeks in spring training. He he, he got released by three teams over the last three months. The Reds signing to a million dollar contract. What's his ERA? Thirty-two. I thought it was fifty-four. Well, it's somewhere in that area. Once, yeah, once you get over fifteen, does it matter? <laughs> yeah, you're right. You're, you're absolutely right. But that's my point. They have a guy with a fifty-four ERA, and they think that was a good move. You had all year, you had all off season to sign a damn starting pitcher, and you get a guy off the junk heap, pay him a million bucks. He's been released by three teams in three months. And and he is your savior. That's what you do. It's it's very. It's not that the team is losing. I think most fans understand that's part of being a baseball fan. Your team is going to lose sometimes. But the complete mismanagement of this organization right now, it, it's it's beyond belief. And uh, I hope I'm dead wrong looking at these numbers. But you tell me. Do you think they're going to play sometime in May? They're going to play a. a the Mets, the Dodgers, the Giants, Cubs, Pirates, Rockies, and Diamondbacks back to back. Oh, that's that, that's murderers row. That's eighteen games against those teams. How many games do you think they will win? <laughs> two against that competition. Two, maybe. I, I I was optimistic. I said they'd win four. And they lose eight, eleven, fifteen, and they lose eighteen. They go, or, I'm sorry, sixteen. Four and sixteen, they go with those games. And wow. I, I don't understand how I'm wrong. I, I, I wish I was. I, you know, if I was, I, I guess, a little more optimistic, then maybe they went five. <laughs> well, okay. In case you've been hiding under a rock somewhere, we're going to lead off with the Reds here tonight, and and. Eugenio Suarez was hit by a pitch in yesterday's game and broke his thumb. He is out now. He is on the DL along with outfielder Scott Shebler for the Reds. They placed him on the DL today, the 10-day DL. Now, Suarez suffered a fractured right thumb in the fourth inning of Cincinnati's loss 
to Pittsburgh on Sunday. Shebler's been dealing with a sore right elbow after being hit by a pitch on March 31st. That was the first game of the year. His DL stint is retroactive to Friday. So because they did those two moves, the Reds had to make another two moves, and that is they recalled third baseman Alex Blandino from Louisville and pitcher Zach Weiss from AAA Louisville. Now, Mark, this is, it's a disaster for the Reds right now because you've got one of your best hitters, probably your second best hitter in the lineup in Suarez, who's out, and they just signed him to a seven-year extension, $66 million last month. It seems like every time they sign somebody to an extension, Mark, i.e. Homer Bailey, i.e. Suarez, they end up getting hurt. Yeah, it's uh, it's sad. <laughs> That's all I can say. say. And uh, you know, if you're a if you're a Reds fan, it makes for a very long summer. But you know, what I was thinking about last night is uh, the Reds broadcasters. How do you how do you maintain any kind of enthusiasm over this team? And you're only what they're they're eight games in. I don't know. <laughs> but let me go ahead and try. <laughs> yeah, I guess it'd be for that money. But they've got 154 more games that they gotta they gotta make up something. <clears throat> but in, unless something dramatic happens, um, and I kept thinking of things that that could have gone wrong this year that did. How about Shohei? How, how, oh yeah, um, we'll talk we'll talk about him in a little bit. But you know th- this brings up one of our Ask Us segments tonight, and I'm going to get to it right away because. I know a lot of people that are listening are thinking this. I know I thought of it right away as soon as I saw that Suarez was hurt. And it came from Ask at, I'm sorry, at Peterbilt off of Twitter. At Peterbilt wrote in and said, does the injury to Suarez mean that Nick Senzel will be brought up anytime in the near future? Mark, I'm going to give you the first hack, the first hack at this question. I don't know what the magic date is, but there's a date, I think it's after 18 games or 20 games or whatever, you can bring him up and you don't lose that extra year of arbitration. And the Reds aren't going anywhere this year, so it would be foolish to bring him up now. Uh, the question will be, is, is bringing him up going to retard his development? Is he better off staying in the minor leagues, you know, hitting 330 this year down there, getting his confidence, Putting on a little more weight, all those things that would make him a you know a starter next year. So the Reds have to weigh that. But I I don't I, I wouldn't bring him up unless the guy is just you know hitting 400 and you can't keep him down there. But I I would not bring him up because he's not going to help this team. This team's going to lose 100 games with him or 100 games without him. See, so I would not want to subject him to a losing atmosphere. I'd rather wait till next year. And, you know, do something meaningful in the offseason and, and start over. Mark Louisville's not going to win either. They're, they've got a terrible minor league system. The Reds do. They're, all their minor leagues, all their top prospects are in, are in the lower A and double A leagues, uh, in, in the minor leagues. This triple A team for Louisville is not going to do anything. So in my opinion, I think you just bring the kid up and let him play. Just tell him, hey, look, we're, we're going to put you up here. This, se- this season is a gimme. This is a season where you're going to be at the major league level. I don't care what you do. I don't care how you do it unless you totally just, you know, fall off the, de- the deep end of the earth. But, you know, 
you're out there, you're going to play every day, just go have a good time. And that's the way I would approach it with the kid. I could make that argument too, but I think there's something to be said about a culture. And right now, this is a losing culture, and you don't want a kid coming up and being on a team that loses 100 games. <clears throat> I think it's the wrong message for the organization. And this kid be, can be a superstar. And I, I, my opinion would, if the Reds are competitive and he can help the team, that's a different issue. But I'm talking about the impact it has on the kid. And this guy is going to hit. He is a great hitter. He's not a great defensive player, so I don't know where you put him. Now, you could put him at third temporarily, but since but uh, Suarez is only on the 10-day DL, so what do you do then? Well, you know, that <laughs> injury, you and I talked about this earlier. That injury with Suarez could be a two-week deal or it could be a three-month deal. You don't know yet. <clears throat> That's true, and I've broken that thumb before. In fact, I've broken that thumb more than once. Uh, the problem is it's, I don't think it's going to hurt so much on the hitting side because you can, you can cushion it. But it's going to be on the throws to third, from third to first. That is where it's going to be problematic. And uh, I had hairline fractures of my thumb, and I actually played through it. It, it hurts. But, you know, it, it depends on where the break is, uh, how severe it is. It, it didn't appear that it was a dislocated break where the, the bone actually broke or came through the skin. It was just a, a fracture. So we'll see what the doctors say. But you're right. It could be He could be back in two or three weeks. Or it, which is kind of, or it could, or two or three months. Yeah, you know, and that that's the whole thing. Okay, let's switch over to the Indians. And the lead story with the Indians this week is not the fact that they're four and five and that they had a walk off home run by Jan Gomes yesterday to win against Kansas City and take that series two out of three. The fact of the matter is, Mark, I want to talk to you about this because you're a pitcher. Trevor Bauer has been outstanding for the Indians. From the All-Star break up through the first two games that he has pitched this season, he has been one of the better pitchers in baseball, probably one of the top ten pitchers in baseball since the All-Star break and through the first two starts that he has had this year. He's given up two runs in his first two starts. Saturday's run just happened to be the, the game-winning run when in the seventh inning he gave up a home run to Lucas Duda, which ended up being the winning run in a one to nothing Kansas City victory. Now, you and I have already discussed the fact about how Major League Baseball wants to speed up the pace of games. My, my opinion is, if you want to speed up the pace of games, have the umpire start calling a strike a strike. And your opinion is, just cut a, cut 30 seconds off of each inning and that gives you what, another nine minutes? Yeah, take out one 30-second commercial per half inning. Uh, that's, that's 18 minutes. Right. And instead of doing that, what Major League Baseball has done is they've decided that these pitchers now have to come out and get themselves warm in between innings because there's a set amount of time that you've got in between innings. Now, Trevor Bauer was playing in the coldest game ever recorded at Progressive Field. Now, certainly Progressive Field's only been around now for about 23, 24 years, but it was 31 degrees in that game on Saturday. And as he came out in the seventh inning, here's what Bauer had to say. 
He said, the first pitch of the inning coming out, I tried to get loose. But with the new Rob Manfred BS rules that we have, only a certain amount of time in between innings, it's hard to get loose sometimes, especially in conditions like that. It's say it's not safe, but whatever. Now, on local telecasts, teams have two minutes and five seconds in between innings. The clock starts when the last out of the inning is made. Now, a pitcher is now allowed to throw as many warm-up pitches as he wants as long as the last one leaves his hand with 20 seconds left on the clock. A pitcher must be in his wind-up to throw the first pitch of the inning with five seconds left on the clock. Bauer says he feels rushed by the new rules and doesn't get to throw enough to get loose. So every inning, now this is a quote, Bauer says, so every inning you basically start off not loose. I told the umpire today one time he was trying to tell me to speed up, and I said, look, I'll take the fine if I need to, but I'm not going to put myself at risk, and I'm not going to put the team at risk of me having exactly what happened happened. Throw a pitch that you're not ready to compete on because you're still trying to get loose and it gets hit over the fence and we lose because of it. You've been a pitcher. You've thrown in cold weather. You've thrown in warm weather. You've thrown in hot weather. I know for a fact that it is not easy to stay loose in cold weather. Does Bauer have a point here? Uh, of course he has a point. And there's a, there's a bigger issue at hand here, though, that goes with, with his point. Why in the hell are they playing games in 30-degree temperature? These are multi-million-dollar assets, and you put them out there to throw as hard as they can in 30-degree temperature, and that's that's not including wind chill. And you know, you have guys breathing on their hands. You see the you know the smoke coming out of their or the steam coming out of their mouths. It's absurd that they make baseball players go out there and play in this kind. Friday night, the game on saw the Reds game when they were playing in Pittsburgh. It was 34 degrees there with a wind chill of 22, and it was raining. Yes. And they played in that crowd. What, that is just, it's moronic to do that. And the answer, Dave, is very simple. You start the season a week or 10 days later, and then you play a couple double headers during the season, you know, to make up. But playing in Cleveland or Pittsburgh, or, or Milwaukee, well, Milwaukee's got a dome in it, but Minnesota, they don't, they don't have a dome now. Uh, you know, all these cold weather places in March, are you kidding me? It makes no sense. Mark, how many Saturdays are in the Major League Baseball season from May 1st through August 31st? Oh, I'd just, say 20, well, it'd be 26 and a half a year. Yeah, let's so. just say four a month. So you got May, June, July, August. That's four months. That's 16 okay. Saturdays. Yeah. You could play, and I've always been an advocate of this, you could play a day-night doubleheader on every Saturday. One that starts at 1 o'clock, the second one starts at 7 o'clock. Since they're so adverse to playing a back-to-back doubleheader anymore, they want each and every game to be its separate entity. All right. Why? Because of money. Because of money. All right. So what you do is you set it up to where you play 16 Saturdays of doubleheaders. Yeah. That's 32 games, Mark. That's 32 games. The season would be shorter. Exactly. The season would be shorter. You get better weather in April. You wouldn't have to start until like April 10th or April 12th, something like that. And the weather would be fine in the Midwest most of the time. You still have cold weather like we do today. 
but it would be the exception. But starting, what was the first game this year, the 28th of March? That's, that's absurd. Right. And then what you do is you, ex- on that on that Saturday, if, if you don't want to do it full-time, fine. But you go to the union and you say, on those Saturdays where we have doubleheaders, we're going to expand the major league roster to 27. We're going to allow you to bring up one more pitcher and one more position player. Period. And that takes care of the problem. The union's not going to have a problem with that because you're going to get more players with service time at the major league level. They're not going to have a problem with that. The owners aren't going to, shouldn't have a problem with it because if you get rained out on one, one part of the game or the other, then you've still got Sunday that you could make it up with a double header. You've still got that extra day. You know, that's a good idea. You could, it would be a marketing thing like the interleague play. Double header Saturday. You know, I can see them, you know, all these games being played on uh, a given Saturday, you know, in, in the summertime. Yeah. And it would be kind of a fun event. Double header Saturday. I and mean, it's like a lot can change. You know, if a team wins two and the other team loses two, they pick up two games and the, and the races get tighter and all that stuff. It, it, there's so much logic to that. I, I don't understand why somebody isn't, isn't, isn't jumping all over that idea. You know, and the thing about it is, Mark, going back to the Trevor Bauer comment, the Cleveland media, and I was listening to them today, the Cleveland media wants to make Bauer out to be the bad guy on this. When all Bauer is saying is, give me the opportunity to get warm. It's the same thing as what happened with Gabe Kapler in the first series of the year where the, the home plate umpire actually had sense enough to say when Kapler came out and signaled for the left-hander in the bullpen and he had nobody warming up. There was nobody out there warming up and the umpire had the, the presence of mind to say there's a rule in the rule book and, and sure enough there was where if there is a problem with injury at the umpire's discretion he can allow more warm-up throws. Yeah, that, that was a smart move by the umpire uh, to protect these guys but you, you would think that management when some of these contracts, guys are being paid fifteen, twenty, twenty-five million dollars a year. Why would you want to play them in Pittsburgh at thirty-four degrees, uh, twenty-eight degree wind chill, and in the rain? Explain that logic to me. Yeah, yeah, and, and it, it, it's just simply amazing. But I think Bauer's got a point. I I agree with him. I think it's a situation the Major League Baseball is going to have to look at. Now, certainly out in L.A. or San Francisco, where the temperatures are 70, 75 degrees, you don't have to worry about it then. But when you're in Cleveland, when you're in Kansas City, where you're you're in Cincinnati, Pittsburgh, places like that, Chicago, which got snowed out today, Mark. Yeah. (laughs) the, The Cubs and the White Sox got snowed out today. When you're in places like that, you've got to give these pitchers the opportunity to warm themselves up and get themselves going. Mark, if Trevor Bauer comes back with a sore arm, you know, the one thing that the Cleveland media wanted to say, and I'm going to ask you your opinion of this, the one thing that they wanted to make a point of today is that Trevor Bauer is the only one speaking up. Well, there's got to be a first one for everything. Yeah, everybody, if you've ever played baseball, uh, going out there in that kind of condition is just, the game is not fun. Oh, it's not. Uh, you know, one to nothing does not speak necessarily of great pitching. As a hitter, you're cold. It's hard to swing hard because your body isn't loose. And that's how you get hurt. And if you ever hit a ball at the end of the bat in 30-degree weather, 
Oh, you can't feel stings. Like you, oh, my gosh, it stings badly. And you're afraid to swing hard because if you miss it, get it off the end of the bat, your hand's going to hurt for a week. Mark, the Indians are four and five. I, I'm going to I'm, I'm going to move this move this in. The, the Indians are four and five. They right now have the worst team batting average of any team in Major League Baseball. Their team batting average right now, Mark, is one fifty nine. One fifty nine is their team batting average. Could the cold That's weather be a part of that? Well, of course, of course it is. Uh, pitchers always have an advantage in that. Uh, because of what I just said, uh, has has Brantley brought anything to that lineup? Uh, you know, actually, when he came back the first game of the year, or the first the first game at home, which was Friday, uh, very first pitch he saw, he lined it right up the middle for a base hit, drove in two runs, and the Indians ended up winning the ball game three to two. So he was a big part of that. But he has, I'm not going to say fallen off the deep end, but. The player that has got the best batting average of anybody on the team is Lonnie Chisinau, who, by the way, is now on the DL again. Surprise, surprise. At 235. You know, Chisenhall was the main reason, Mark, that I wanted the Indians to go out, spend the money, and sign Jay Bruce. Because you cannot count on Chisenhall to play more than maybe 70 or 80 games a season. The guy just can't do it. And it, hey, it, what, what's the scoop on Tyler Naquin? He's out again, or maybe they brought him up now because of Chisinau, but uh, they, I did. they sent him down. Okay, When they brought Brantley up, I think they sent him down again. But wasn't this guy supposed to be like a, a, a better version of Billy Hamilton? Yeah, the problem is is that he hits like Billy Hamilton, but he doesn't uh, play defense as well as Billy Hamilton. He's got He's got a macaroni arm, he's got lackadaisical speed, and he hits like Billy Hamilton, and that's the problem. He has been exposed. Bradley Zimmer is another one. I think Bradley Zimmer has got all the tools to be an outstanding ball player, but the problem is is that he is in a, he is mired in a deep slump right now and batting ninth in the batting order. But, Mark, I, I, I've got a suggestion for the Indians. They'll never listen to me. I know that. But here, here's my suggestion. Yandy Diaz was a big part of them winning 22 games in a row a year ago and winning the division. Yet they kept him off of the playoff roster. He's a third baseman. Bring him up, put him at third, and forget about it. Move Ramirez from third to second and put Kipnis out in right. That's my solution for the Indians. And it's not a temporary solution. It is the solution. Well, if, I tell you what, if they don't do what you tell them to do, I would, I would taunt them. <laughs> uh, on Twitter. I'll tell you, I'll, I'll tell you. I shall taunt you. I, I will tell you a kid that's playing well though right now. You can say all you want to, all the negatives and spew them out about the Reds, but right now Jesse Winker is playing some pretty good baseball. Well, it's taken me three years to get you to pronounce his name correctly. That's but true. You're right. Uh, he is, and uh, th- this kid, he, you know, th- th- what the Reds are lacking right now is anybody hitting fourth. Uh, nobody is stepping up. Uh, Adam Duvall, you talk about being exposed. You go back, and I know I'm you know, making too much perhaps out of eight games, but he is just overmatched. I mean, he, he he's swinging. You throw anything in the outside corner rather than go with a pitch. He, he tries to pull everything. He's got Homer happy in his swing. 
and he's overmatched, and he's he's striking out on three pitches a lot, which <laughs> tells you that the pitchers have no respect for him right now. The, the Reds don't have anybody, and with Shepler hurt now, uh, that guy hit 30 home runs last year. Mm-hmm. He's out of the lineup, and you have uh, Suarez, who had, what, 26 or 27 home runs last year. Uh, the Reds just don't have anybody hitting fourth that can, can because the first three guys are getting on base that he were. Get Winker, Suarez, and, and Votto. And, but there's nobody driving in any runs, and that's that's going to be a problem throughout the year. Mark, I know you're going to poo-poo this, but I am always big on these ball players. You've got to stroke their ego. You you can't go to a ball player, especially a guy that is a key part of your ball club, like Adam Duvall was supposed to be this season for the Reds, and tell him if you're the manager, sit him down and say. I can't start you on opening day because I don't think you can hit Max Scherzer. Well, the manager would be right. He couldn't have hit Matt, Max. Maybe Scherzer. it does. Oh, not maybe. He, he would have been. He would have struck out three or four times. I, I'm just certain he would have. Uh, but the problem is, you have nobody else to put in there, other than perhaps moving Votto to fourth, and then putting somebody else in at third. Maybe having Winker lead off. When Suarez comes back, you know, putting him at third and then putting Shebler at second. Uh, you know, then, then you have a one, two, three, four lineup that's, that's pretty potent when everybody gets healthy. But, uh, the, the problem is you don't have that thumper after, after Vado. And Vado, while, he, you know, he had 30 some home runs last year, uh, he's, he's, he's the only real drive, run driven in power they've got saying that inarticulately, but uh, he's the guy you can you can depend on driving runs because he makes contact. And so many times the, these first eight games, there'd be two guys on or three guys on in many cases, and Duvall would strike out or ground out or ground into a double play. And he's sitting, he's sitting 108, I think, right now. So th- th- that's that's a big problem, but you know. Okay, I want to ask you this. Same has so many problems that you can't blame Duvall entirely. I, I, I want to ask you. No, I'm not blaming Duvall at all. I want to ask you this question. Let's say, just for the sake of argument, you're the pitcher. You're the opposing pitcher against the Reds, and the Reds bring up Nick Senzel, and they put him batting third and Votto fourth, so Senzel is protected. How do you pitch to Senzel knowing that Votto is behind him? Well, uh, I would not put Senzel at third. I'd put him at second. I'd put no, Winker I'm talking about third on. in the order. That's what I'm talking about. Okay. I would not bat him third. I'd bat him second in the order. But then you're losing the protection of Votto. Well, not necessarily. It all depends who you put third. If you had Suarez at third, uh, yeah, he's still protected. Uh, but you need somebody batting behind Votto, too, and, and that's what we don't have right now. I mean, I think offensively this team will hit, but I, I'm, I'm just wondering if the league, as it does so many times, they figure hitters out. And, and you know, last year he had 239, uh, Duvall did. He had 99 RBIs, but, Dave, I, I have never seen a guy leave that many men on base. Mm-hmm. He, he, he just did not drive in runs, as he should have driven in 130 runs. He had every opportunity to, to, to do that easily, and, and he, I think, he drove in two runs in September. But so how the do league, you... 
How do you pitch around Senzel then if, if Votto is behind him? Or even if you've got Senzel batting second, Votto third, and Suarez fourth? Yeah, you could do that. You know, that, that would be... what I'm saying that... is, is I'm, I'm taking away the excuse that the Reds are going to use that they don't want to bring this kid up because they're afraid he's going to fall off the deep end. I'm saying, all right, then put him up in the top of the batting order where you've got your all-star first baseman hitting right behind him, and they can't pitch around him. They've got to feed him fastballs. Yeah, that's that's why I'd hit him second. Uh, and if you're going to hit – my point about moving Vado to fourth is that with those three guys, with Senzel, Winker, and Suarez hitting in front of him, my point was Vado would drive in 135 runs. Mm-hmm. Because he makes contact. He doesn't strike out. He doesn't hit in the double plays. And if people are on base, he'll drive him in. Winker, I think Winker is going to be an outstanding player. I do, too. He's, he's not a great defensive player. He's okay. He's much better suited to the left field. And, you know, that that's where I think the Reds have to make a decision. Do they keep Duvall in left field as opposed to Winker? And then go out and get somebody else, you know, to, to, to play in place of, of Duvall. I mean, I, I I don't know what you do with Duvall uh, because over the last, I, I think I, I read, it's a little over half the season um, because he got off to a good start last year, mm-hmm. remember, and he fell off the face of the earth the second half of the year, ended up hitting only two thirty nine, and I think his combined batting average was like two fourteen or two sixteen the second half of the season, and that is, you know, you can't. All that tells me is the pitchers have gone to the video, and they know how to get this guy out. And if you don't make an adjustment as a hitter, uh, you're not going to stay in the league. They will wear you out. And Mark, he, he, so far, he's not made the adjustment. One of the biggest strengths I think the Indians have right now is their catching duo of Perez and Jan Gomes. Those two guys, I think, Mark, are the two best catchers, tandem-wise, in baseball today. Bar none. I'll put them up against anybody. Not as far as hitting, but defensively and throwing out runners. They throw out runners at a 40% clip combined. These two guys are outstanding catchers. Now, are the Reds peeking over their shoulder and looking up north and seeing how the Indians handle this tandem between Perez and Gomes when they've got Tucker Barnhart and Devin Mesoraco? Well, the difference between the Reds and the Indians in that situation is you've got two good catchers up there that are hitting. I think Mesoraco has one hit, if he has any. I, I don't remember him getting a hit. Uh, maybe he's got a hit. But he hasn't hit now in, in two years. So I, I don't I don't know if he's on this roster next year. In fact, I wonder if he's going to be in the roster all year here. Uh, it's unfortunate what's happened to this guy, but injuries have just, you know, made him. Yeah, they've decimated uh, him. They just decimated him, and, and he, he's Tucker Barnhart right now. He's one of the better catchers in baseball. Clearly, he's the best defensive catcher in baseball right now, or at least in the National League, winning a Golden Glove, a uh, Gold Glove. So he's he's got a he's got a good. Ten years ahead of him, and, and his hitting has improved quite a bit. Mm-hmm. He, he's not an easy out anymore. No, he's not. He's not. And, but you know, the, still, you've got you've got this air of Mesoraco around this team, 
And I'll tell you one thing, if he could come back and play like he did three years ago, they would have something. The problem is, is he capable of doing that anymore? Well, you don't know. Uh, and he's not, the problem is now he's not going to get the chance to get his swing down because Barnhart's going to catch you know four mm-hmm. nights, five nights a week. And that's not going to give Mesoraco a chance to – and he's not a good pinch hitter, never has been. So I, I don't know what you do there. You, in, with two catchers, you can't pitch hit, pinch hit him a lot because if you say you pinch hit Mesoraco in the seventh inning for a pitcher, then you've lost your backup catcher. So if he would get hurt, if uh, Tucker would get hurt, you have nobody to come in and catch. What's your point of no return for a player as far as – Injuries are concerned. You know, I've been saying for two years, unload Mazzarocco, unload him. Now we've got two players up in Cleveland, in Chisholm Hall and Danny Salazar, whom are constantly hurt. And and I'm not sure either one of them know, and there's a big difference, and, and you'll agree with this, there's a big difference between being hurt and playing through pain. And I don't think either one of those two, Chisholm Hall and Danny Salazar, know what it's like to play through pain. Well, you you never know. Again, you don't want a player to play with injury, but part of a player's talent is not getting hurt. Some guys are more prone to getting hurt. Others seem to play forever and they don't get hurt. Uh, it, it's an amazing thing that some guys just are snake bit, and every little thing they do, they're out for you know three weeks, four weeks, and it. It, it adds up. It also breaks your body down. And you, when you're always, you know, trying to heal, you don't have a chance to get your swing if you're a hitter. But look at Tony or Anthony DiScafani. He's been hurt every year he's been with the Reds. Every year. And he was even hurt with the Marlins, too. That's right. So you have to ask, ask the Reds, what are you, stupid? How often <laughs> do you go back to the well with this guy? It's not he's a bad guy. It means his body breaks down, which is the same as a pitcher who hangs a curveball, you know, to a power hitter. Bad stuff happens. And if you can't rely on your pitcher or hitter or whomever it is, in your case, Chisenhall, how long do you stay with him? I mean, at some point you just say, hey, uh, we'd rather take a player that we can depend on physically than a guy who may have a little more talent. Well, you know, yeah, and the fact of the matter is, Mark, they've got three guys down in the minor leagues right now, and Giovanni Urshela, but Urshela's injured, and but this was his first injury, uh, so he hasn't played yet. But you got Yandy Diaz down in the minor leagues, and you've got the number one prospect that the Indians have, number 11 overall in Major League Baseball, in Francisco Mejia, a switch hitter who's a catcher. He's not going to catch with the Indians, Mark. He's got Gomes and Perez in front of him. And they're both under 30. Excuse me, they're both under 30. So you've got to move Mejia. They they tried him out at third base during spring. They had him play during the winter leagues in the outfield. Stick this kid in right field and let him play for crying out loud. This is the kid that hit in 50 straight games in the minor leagues. Hit over 330 a year ago in the minor leagues. They brought him up in September. He hit over 300 for the team in September during that win streak that they had and going on to win the division. Give this kid a chance to play and just forget about Chisholm Hall. It's not going to happen with this guy. 
Well, I hope the Cubs have taught the league a lesson with Schwarber. Uh, oh. This was a catcher, and they put him out in the outfield because he's got a great bat. He lost weight. He, he's a decent outfielder. But, you know, hitting is a very difficult thing to cultivate in baseball. And defense just ain't that tough. And I think you're right. You take a guy who's got some athletic ability but can hit 310, 320, drive in some runs, that's a pretty valuable asset. You've got to find a way to get him in the lineup. What was it? Was years and years ago, Mark, when Manny Sanguian oh, yeah. was the catcher of the Pirates, and there was one spring. I remember this, but I don't remember who the catcher was. They were bringing up a catcher, and they decided they were going to move Sanguian to the outfield. And I think they put him in left field, if I'm not mistaken. But I don't remember who the catcher was, and the catcher just bombed. So they ended up having to move Sanguian back behind the plate. Yeah, I mean, there, there are... Stories like that Sanguian. all over. Yeah, he, he was a pretty fast runner for a catcher. I yeah. Mean, he's pretty fast. And remember, his claim to fame was that he could throw a runner out on his haunches. Mm-hmm. He would, he, he would just throw from his knees. And so limber. Out there and throw a guy out. He was so limber. Oh, yeah. He, he was a great catcher. I, I like Manny. And and that's where Mejia is. Now, Mejia's a little smaller than Manny Sanguian was. Sanguian was more muscular than Mejia is. But Mejia is the type of kid, Mark, that he could go into the outfield, and, and I believe he'd be able to play the outfield easily. Uh, he may not be a gold glover, but how many gold glove outfielders are there in baseball, for, the, for crying out loud? Yeah, and how many fly balls do you get? in left field in a game. Right. You, you make it two or three, and most of them are routine. And you, you could make that up by a guy who can hit you 320, 325. I, you know, it, it sounds silly, and, and I don't mean that defense isn't important, but great defense in baseball doesn't win games, unlike it does in football or basketball. Great defense helps, but if you don't score runs or you don't have pitching, it doesn't matter. Right. So I would much rather have, you know, great hitting helps your pitching staff because if they know they're going to score five, six runs a game, you don't have to be so perfect when you're a pitcher. You can go out there and throw your your, your game and not worry about it. You know your offense is going to score some runs for you. But I've always thought, and I remember a couple of years ago, remember Encarnacion? Yes. Okay? There was a big cry down here in Cincinnati because Encarnacion made 22 errors at third base in the season. <laughs> well, like a baseball nerd I am, I went back and analyzed every one of those errors he made. Okay? Compared to his hitting? No. I okay. Did, I looked at it defensively. All right. What kind of liability was Encarnacion at third base? The complaint was he made 22 errors. So I went back and looked. Of the 22 errors he made, the Reds, I believe, won 16 of those games. <laughs> so, okay, that means that there were six errors in which he committed an error that the Reds lost. Then I looked, how many of those six errors cost the Reds to lose? There was one. And it was near the end of the year, he threw a ball away at first base, and the winning run scored. And people went ballistic. Well, if you analyze it more carefully, do a little more deep research, 
you'll find that just because a guy makes an error doesn't mean you're going to either lead to a run or, more importantly, is it going to lead to you losing a game. Right. So I would rather focus my – if I was a GM, I'd focus on pitching first, then hitting, and, oh, by the way, great if you could play defense. But look at Billy Hamilton. I think he's the best center fielder in baseball. And you would the not have an argument out of me whatsoever. And the Reds have finished last three years in a row. They're going to finish last this year, and they were fourth the other year yep. with Billy Hamilton. So do the math. Yeah. What kind of errors did Encarnacion make at third base? Were they throwing errors, fielding errors, yeah. what? There were a lot of throwing errors. And what amazed me, I complained about it, too. I didn't like the way he you know, made 22 errors. But then I started thinking, because I think that game, he, the game I started this on, he had made two errors in the game. But the Reds won the game. So, you know, so what? He made an error or two. You, you know what I want out of a defensive player, Mark? If he gets his glove on the ball and hangs on to it, that's what I want. I, I, yeah. I, don't, I don't care about range. Yeah, range is overrated. And, you know, a pitcher will say, yeah, I want the best eight defensive players out there for me. But if those guys can't hit, it doesn't matter how good a defensive player they are because you're going to lose. Yeah. <laughs> if you're averaging a run a game, but, boy, we play great defense. We never make an error. But they don't score. What's the point? Which, which leads me to the major league notes for tonight. And, by the way, I forgot to tell everybody this. If you've got a question for us at Ask Us, just send it to uh, my Twitter address or my email address, which is dmitch at ultimatesportstalk.com, or my Twitter address is at ohbbcohost. All right. You brought it up a little bit earlier about Shohei Otani. What a first 10 days of his major league career he has had. Three home runs. He's got two well-pitched games, albeit against the Oakland Athletics. But, Mark... The more important question is, why is he the first player in Major League Baseball to do what he's doing, pitch and hit, since Babe Ruth? I mean, there's almost an 80-year gap there between ball players. Tell me, why is he the first player that's doing this? I don't know, but I've always maintained that you want to sign baseball players and not position players. When you're a kid growing up, you, you and I, we played a lot of sandlot ball, and just, you know, on, every day you played baseball as a kid. You could do it all. You, you pitched, you caught, you ran, you threw, you know, it didn't matter. You played baseball. And uh, imagine if you had a Hunter Green and Shohei Otani on the same team, and you could play them in different positions where they could come in from, say, shortstop or come in from wherever they're playing and pitch to a batter or two, then go back out. Think of Think how that saves your bullpen if you have two guys capable of doing that in your lineup. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it changes the entire dynamic of baseball. But baseball is imbued with such ridiculous traditions that people are afraid to break out and try new stuff. And that's why I like Joe Madden so much, because he's not. He'll try stuff. And I, I hope the Angels allow this guy to continue to do this. And hopefully it'll be a trend for the future. Dear, of course you remember Chuck Tanner. Sure. Chuck Tanner, and this is funny because, you know, George Brett was a great hitter. Great, great hitter. One of the best of all time. Hall of Famer, right? His brother was just as good. Ken. Problem was, Ken was also a left-handed pitcher. Yeah. But Chuck Tanner, every once in a while, 
would put Ken Brett in the outfield, just like you're saying, and then he'd bring him in to match up against certain left-handers. He did it primarily against Oakland when he was managing the White Sox, and Tanner had Dick Allen in the lineup. I think it was 1973 where all this started going down. But he would bring in Ken Brett to face Reggie Jackson. I remember Ken Brett when he played for the Phillies when I lived in Philadelphia. And he was he was a good player. He's a really good hitter. Yeah. And and a and, and a good and a good pitcher. And you're right. I mean, I, I remember you know him doing. I, I don't think he did it for the Phillies or not, but I, I remember him playing. And he was a good player. He, he was he wasn't George, but he was a good player. But having imagine what that does to your roster if you have two or three <laughs> guys who could come in and 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 be effective on the mound, you know, not pitch. I mean, situ, situational. Baseball, where you have a left-hander coming in and face the left-hand hitter, he goes back out to the outfield. Then you bring in the right-hander to pitch the right hand. You haven't touched your bullpen. Right. It, it, again, I I go back to the the next big thing in baseball will be starting pitchers only going three or four innings, and you have three starters pitch in one game. I, I, I yeah, I know, and you've you've talked about it. I I know this is a small sample size. But have you seen Otai pitch, or have you seen Otai yeah. play yet? Okay. Do you oh, think yeah. do you think he's the real deal? Yeah, I do. He, I tell you what I like about him: his balance at the plate. Yeah. He, you know, he he he's calm at the plate. He's got a quick bat. I mean, he's pulling ninety-eight mile an hour fastballs, and he's pulling them, and he has the power to go the opposite way. He, they pitch him in the outside corner. He, the, the home run I saw. He must have hit it 440 feet to left field. Mm-hmm. I mean, this guy, he's the real deal. And, and I, I think I'm more convinced about his hitting prowess, although yesterday he had a perfect game after seven and a, what, seven and a third. Uh, he, he is just an unusual talent. And apparently the Reds were second or third on his list. So uh, that's unfortunate they couldn't get him. Here's my question to you. He reminds me a tremendous amount, especially at the plate, just at the plate, of Ichiro. Say that again? He reminds me just at the plate. If you yeah. watch his swing and watch where his front foot goes in the left-hand batter's box and the way he keeps his balance throughout the swing, as you said, reminds me a lot of Ichiro. Yeah, you know, that, that's a good point. I saw him... Um, he swung and missed at a pitch the other day, and he looked like Ichiro. In fact, I thought it was at first. I just saw the swing, and it must be the way they teach hitting in Japan. That gives him – what that does, Dave, it allows you to go to left field mm-hmm. because you can drag your bat through after you've made that stride. And now if you try and pull everything, that's going to be a problem. But they don't. They They can go to left field. Ichiro – was the greatest opposite field hitter I've ever seen. Guy could rip the ball to the opposite side. And it's because of what you just said. He pulls that right shoulder out, which you're not supposed to do, and he does it and makes great contact. He and stays on the ball. With the... Yeah, that's he, right. Yeah, stays right on the ball. He's a top-handed hitter. Yeah, I, mean, yeah, I... He, I, I think he's going to be a, you know, a, a great talent and... He's a good-looking dude, too. That guy living in L.A., yeah, there's a lot of potential out there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a lot. Maybe he'll check, get hooked up with that Outlander woman. That's right. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Hey, 
Here, here's another question. Who's your surprise team so far, good or bad, in the first ten games? Oh, it's going to be Pittsburgh. See, I think it's Atlanta. Yeah, I could, I could make that, that that statement, too. I, I think they're both overperforming. But, you know, at some point, these teams that have been down for a long time, you know, they're, they're kind of discounted at the beginning of the year because they're, they're supposed to lose. But, you know, they, they turn it around. Look, you know, Milwaukee last year, they surprised everybody and came within a game of going to the playoffs. So, you know, teams evolve and uh, they, they do get better. It's, it's peaks and valleys. But Atlanta, I mean, they've been smashing the ball. I mean, they, yeah. I think they're leading the league in extra base hits. So they get some pitching. That's a team to you got to deal with. Okay, I did not know this was the case until I watched the opening series between the Dodgers and the Giants. How did the Dodgers get Matt Kemp back? Oh, through the you know in the off season they, they they made a deal and they I guess part of the deal was he had to lose a certain amount of weight, uh, you know, get himself in shape. But you know, I know the Indians aren't hitting. But I think the the Dodgers have been shut out four times already this year. Yeah, I mean they're not hitting at all with that lineup, and man, that that's surprising. I think they're you know they're they're going to come around. That's too good a team not to. But you know this it's early, it's cold. Uh, pitchers are always ahead of the hitters. That's that's the norm, and you know, we'll see what happens when when the you know it starts to be eighty degrees. But uh, right now, you know, it's exciting when you have new teams rising up. And uh, I just wish the Reds were one of the teams that was rising. And, and the thing about it, do you think the third baseman for the Dodgers means that much difference to their lineup? That's a that's a really good point. And you know, he was he was a Red at one time. Yeah, he was. The Reds, the Reds traded him. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think you know, a lineup is an interesting thing. You you you, it's not just one through eight. It is who is hitting where. And as we were talking earlier. You want a good hitter hitting behind Votto, so, so somebody pitches to Votto. Uh, but when you got a hit, guy hitting 108 or 110 after Votto, why would you why would you pitch to Votto? You got to be an idiot. Did you see Marty Foster yesterday, the home plate umpire? No. Ta- toss the the hitter at the plate. No. No. Unbelievable. The I've got to look this up because. Um, I can't remember who the player was that he tossed. Uh, Anthony Rendon of Washington. He tosses Anthony Rendon. It's a called third strike over the outside corner. Rendon, and they, and you know, it was the last out of the inning, so of course the camera pans in on him. He just takes the bat and he just flips it. Just basically just flips it over into the left-hand side batter's box. Starts taking off his batting gloves, not saying a word, not looking back at the umpire, nothing. Did absolutely none of that. Marty Foster, after the bat landed, waited three seconds and threw him out of the game. Yeah, that's the arrogance of these umpires. That it is. That's why the players get so upset. Everybody, if a guy misses a call, you know, the light goes on. You you get over it. But when they do stuff like that, you don't forget it because you know you're dealing with a jerk. Well, and, and, uh, <laughs> I've umpired and I've, I've made bad calls or missed a call here and there, but you don't you don't do that to a player. Here, here's what Joe West had to say about it. He's the crew chief, and after the game, of course, you know, umpire crew chief Joe West, per Mark Zuckerman of MASN Sports, 
said Rendon was ejected for the lame old sin of bruising another man's ego. When Foster called strike three, Rendon threw the bat, West said. You have some options there, and Marty felt that what he did was showing him up worse than an equipment violation would have been, and that's why he ejected him. You have to do something, or he loses all respect from the players. Well, I got news for you, Joe. What has he lost now? <laughs> yeah, the, the respect he lost from the players w was a lot more severe for that what he did than, than having him just to, you know, you respect an empire more guy was pissed off he didn't you know he didn't yell at the empire of course he's mad but let him let him do it and you know turn away yeah a, a good empire that's what the i remember taking my empire classes the best thing to do if you make a call that you think might be questionable turn away just walk away from the plate let yep. the let the hitter do what he wants now if he follows you and screams and yells that's a different story but most hitters don't do that you know they they you know throw the bat down or they say something under their breath, and they shake their head, and they walk away. You don't get thrown after that. No. Okay, final question of the night, Mark. Who will keep their job longer? Brian Price of the Reds, Gabe Kapler of the Phillies, or EPA Chief Scott Pruitt? <laughs> it won't be Pruitt. <laughs> uh, I, I think, uh, I think uh, Kapler, because I think the Phillies are going to win. And I uh, hope they don't start tonight, but uh, I think the Phillies are going to win, and that will keep his job no matter what he does. I, I, Brian Price, I like. I, I think he's a smart guy. But somebody has got to light a fire under this team. But more importantly, you, Dave, the, the problem the Reds have right now, you have a press that doesn't challenge that team. The Reds announcer. Boy, is I, that the truth. I, I want to scream my head off. They let these guys get away with this stuff. They never criticize the players. They never criticize the team because they work for the team. And that, that that's unconscionable. Boy, you, you are absolutely correct, Mark. I, I've been down here now for a year, and I have never heard anybody go off on this team. No, it's a, they suck up to the ownership. And uh, even Marty, uh, you know, he used to say stuff. He doesn't anymore. Maybe he doesn't care. doesn't care enough to... Uh, to, to criticize him, but Tom Brenneman, I know you like Tom Brenneman. Well, I've never uh, said I, I like Tom Brenneman. No, I thought you did. No, I, I think I think he's a mope, and uh, he, he, you know, he mails it in every game. Uh, I think he's a terrible announcer. There, I've said it. <laughs> but these guys never say anything. Chris Welsh, I like Chris. He's a good guy, uh, but he, he's the guy who, in his own way, quiet way, does the most critique of the team. But even he is so reserved in what he says. I, I just, having lived in Philadelphia and Chicago and L.A., I've heard the writers blast these teams, and it helps because it gets the fans energized and makes the team do something, but not in Cincinnati. I'll say this about Tom Brenneman. There's one worse announcer than him, Jim Day. That's all I'll say about him. Oof. Boy, is he. Yeah, Jim Day is not very good Ooh. at his craft. And, and again, these guys are new. They're afraid. You know, they work for the Reds, and they're afraid to, to say anything. And it's unfortunate. So the Reds have got Philadelphia for the first three games of the week. Who do they have this weekend? St. Louis, and I have them losing. Of those seven games, I have them losing six. Well, the Indians are in the middle of a ten-game homestand. They've got seven games left in it. They've got Detroit tonight, tomorrow, and Wednesday. 
and Thursday. All those games are at 6 o'clock, and then Friday they are going to be playing the Blue Jays. They've got a Friday night game, then a Saturday afternoon game, and then Sunday at 110. So that's what is happening. We'll be back next week. Mark, have a good week. Same to you, Dave. That's going to do it for tonight's show. Glad to have you along here this evening. I'm Dave Mitchell. We'll be back again next Friday, or next Monday night, not Friday night, Monday night at 9 o'clock here on UltimateSportsTalk.com. Until then, for Mark Donahue, I'm Dave Mitchell. Have a good week, everybody.